Hello, beautiful, wonderful, magical beings. Thanks for tuning in. This week, we have a conversation between Kevin Griffin and Vimala Sara. It will explore the books Kevin has written on Buddhism and recovery, as well as specific Buddhist suttas that explore addiction and inspire healing from addiction. If this is your first time tuning in, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to be alerted when the second part of the conversation is released. Kevin Griffin will be exploring this topic further at this year's Buddhist Recovery Summit. If you haven't registered yet, be sure to check out BuddhistRecoverySummit.org to find out more information and register. I was at the last summit as a freshly sober noob, and it was a transformative experience. And I've heard that it was just as transformative for people who have been in recovery for a long time. It's the only event where all of your favorite Buddhist recovery teachers will be together in one room for a whole weekend, serving as peers in recovery, along with people from all walks of recovery. Come be a part of the event as we create safe space and explore recovery through the lens of Buddhism together. July 7th, we will be having the Buddhist Recovery Network Academy, which is an online Dharma Talk live podcast. It will be on Living an Authentic Life by Angu Devon Ashwood. So mark your calendars. I will give more information and a description of the talk after this conversation. So be sure to stay tuned at the end of this conversation for more information about the upcoming Buddhist Recovery Network Academy on July 7th. And now, Vimala Sara and Kevin Griffin. So I'm Vimala Sara, a.k.a. Valerie Mason-John, the president of the Buddhist Recovery Network. And it gives me great delight to be actually be in conversation with Kevin Griffin. And the reason why it gives me great delight, because I see Kevin as one of the gurus of bringing 12 steps uh, recovery together with Buddhist recovery. He is the person who led on this. So it's just absolutely fantastic that I have Kevin here with me discussing his work. Kevin, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, after that, thank you, Vimalasara. <laughs> I try to avoid the, the G word uh, for guru because um, <laughs> it seems like gurus are always getting themselves in trouble and uh, I want to stay out of trouble. But uh, yeah, I'm, uh, well, I'm Kevin Griffin. I'm an addict, an alcoholic and a Buddhist uh, something. I don't even like to call myself a Buddhist really, but uh, yeah, uh, I've been working with Dharma and recovery for uh, 15 years or more 
and uh, exploring these topics, which seem to always be uh, rich and continue to be interesting. Um, uh, to introduce myself, uh, I write books and I try to teach and uh, I try to not get too crazy in my life. Um, and I'm a father and a husband and uh, a golfer, which is my biggest problem right now. So. Kevin, uh, <laughs> I can hear an echo there. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm sorry I, I'm, if I don't sound serious enough. I'm just, uh, it's really great to see you too. And, and it's, I'm really happy to talk about, talk together and, and discuss all this great stuff. Okay, um, I turn it down because I can see I can hear an echo. So this is better. It is picking me up. I hope so, Kevin. Well, I hope that you won't get into trouble in this conversation. But and it's interesting, as you say, getting into trouble because I really think that you have been really courageous. The fact of actually bringing Buddhism and 12 steps together and your first book on this subject, One Breath at a Time, Buddhism and the 12 Steps. I think the title in itself is pretty radical because we know in the rooms it's one day at a time. And here you talk about one breath at a time. What made you write this book? Which gave, What gave you the, the courage to write the book, Bringing Buddhism and 12 Steps Together? Um... It was, it was who I was, you know, it, it is who I was, you know, I, I, I tried Buddhism uh, before I got in recovery and it didn't really uh, change things very much. And it was only when I got sober that, that my life really started to change. But I also saw that my recovery couldn't really come to fulfillment uh, until it really got informed by Dharma and by Buddhist practice and Buddhist teachings. So so by the time I wrote One Breath at a Time, I was, you know, I was approaching 20 years sober and I'd been practicing for over that, longer than that. And my life was just really guided by these two things together. And and yeah, it was clear to me that there was a need for it because I'd been to so many meetings where people were challenged by the language of the 12 steps. And I knew that the Dharma could give another uh, way in to understanding the steps. So there, I knew there was a need in that world for it. But I also was aware that in the Buddhist world, there was an imbalance around addiction, a, a, a lot of misunderstanding and, and you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a, f a fair amount of uh, denial. Uh, and, and it's just you know, referring to gurus, you know, we, we'd seen these gurus who had been brought down around alcohol and drugs and sex, money, uh, all these issues had been uh, really harming the Buddhist community uh, for a long time. And, and I thought it was important. I wanted to speak to the Buddhist community as much as to the recovery community. And that continues to be uh, 
my ambition and and the one that is um, most uh, frustrated because I don't feel that the Buddhist world uh, listens to us, you and me, and, and our community enough. I think that we have something to give them, uh, the broader Buddhist world, that that uh, would really help, help I, that world. I really hear you on that because, you know, often we hear that Buddhism, Buddhism isn't therapy, isn't psychotherapy. And in a way, what's been interesting is that many of us, I think before you book your book came out, we were closet addicts in the Buddhist community. There, We couldn't come out about having addictions and being in recovery. And yet, Buddhism is the oldest recovery program that we know. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's explicit. It's not even implicit in That's the text. Right. It's explicit in the text. Yep. Yeah, it is. And it's amazing to me that, you know, Buddhist teachers, among, you know, many of whom I know, if if I were to see, I have suggested to some of them, oh, we could teach together, they'll say, well, I don't know anything about addiction, or I don't know anything about recovery. And I said, you're teaching Dharma, what do you think it is? <laughs> it's, it's striking to me that that blind spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 and you know, just your next book, A Burning Desire, which I loved because it was on the three lakshanas, Anatta, Nitya, Dukkha, and A Burning Desire, Dharma, God, and the Path of Recovery. What made you write that book and clearly point out those teachings? Well, uh, I'll say every book I've written has has been every dharma book i've written has been a response to something that i saw in the community and and in myself but uh, but i wouldn't write it if i didn't feel there was some need beyond my own interest for it and and what became evident after one breath at a time came out the the thing that i kept hearing the most from people was that they were struggling with the idea of higher power and to me the dharma was clearly a power and uh, and it became really a um excuse me <laughs> uh cut that out thank you um <laughs> it became uh a kind of um a real search uh, and each of my books is a journey too in itself it was a search for me to how to talk about dharma as as I would talk about God, uh, it it was a you know a strange kind of um, a kind of experiment. To see, like can I take like a something like mindfulness and talk about it as a higher power, and how will I do that? Um, and and so I kept just saying, okay, well if the Dharma is a higher power, then each element of the Dharma must be, be a power. So I'd say mindfulness, impermanence, as you said, the, you know, impermanence, suffering, suffering, how can that be a higher power? So it was a lot of fun, actually, to, to try to bring that, those ideas together. And, and I will say, I, I'm, I'm glad you appreciate that book. And I find that the people who are most serious about uh, Dharma and recovery, uh, recognize that as my most kind of cohesive and coherent book and 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 i like to think of it as 
the most insightful one where I really took some ideas and went very deep. And it happened that I also had probably my best editor uh, was on that book, uh, a novelist, um, uh, Lisa Fugard, who's actually, whose father is a famous uh, playwright, Athel Fugard from South Africa. You may have heard of him. He's, he, anyway, she's, she's great. And she really, I think, really helped me to... Um, you know, craft that book as well into a into a better piece of, of literature, if you will. Well, I mean, one of the reasons why I love the book is because I was somebody who got recovery in the rooms of meditation, in the rooms of Buddhism. That's where I got my recovery. You know, when I went into the rooms of 12 steps, it completely freaked me out. You know, it was it was predominantly male, predominantly white. There was just no reflection, predominantly heterosexual. And I was completely freaked out. So I did my recovery in the rooms of meditation. So coming across a, a burning desire was absolutely fantastic. It's like, oh, well, I can't write that book then. <laughs> well. You know, you can write whatever book you want to write. Yeah, of course. But, you know, just jokingly, I mean, I, I want to come on to another of your books because you have Buddhism and the 12-step workshop, and I think it's interesting you've got that. But actually, you haven't really – I wonder why you've not really developed having the meetings, like having those meetings. You've got the workbook and, you know, we have like Refuge Recovery. We also have my program, Eight yep. Step Recovery, Heart of Recovery. Why is it that you didn't really develop meetings that would be out there in the world? Fair question. Um, and, and I'll say it was a pretty intentional. Uh, it has been pretty intentional in that regard. Um, the... Uh, uh, and I'll go back to, you know, after One Breath at a Time came out, there was a group over in Marin that started to um, gather to have their own meetings. Uh, and um, they were using One Breath at a Time, I guess, as their kind of text. And, you know, they asked me to come and speak to them one time. It was in somebody's living room. And uh, and I did that. And, and I kind of stayed in touch with them. And none of them wanted to go to AA or NA. They didn't want to do 12 steps. They didn't want to do any traditional recovery program. They just wanted to do Buddhism. And uh, over time, uh, it, it seemed like virtually all of them relapsed. And... Um, uh, you know, at that combined with my own experience, which was different from yours, which was that, you know, I started practicing Buddhism, but I didn't really get it as recovery, you know, uh, um, it wasn't explicit enough in its focus on recovery. So, so I was skeptical just of the idea of a purely Buddhist recovery program. At that time, I, I see its value much more now in the way that you and and Noah and others have, have put things together. But then I also, I got sober in AA. So I thought, I don't really want to create a program and say, oh, this is, you don't need to go to AA. You can do this program when I when I haven't tried it out myself, you know, I, I don't. What's my basis for that? And and it just felt like I was going to be taking on a responsibility that I didn't want. I I don't want 
to be responsible for people's programs. I want people to figure out their own program in a way. Uh, if uh, that's not too, I don't know what that is, but it's it's kind of how I feel that, that you, ha- you just in the way I also say to people, you need to figure out how to meditate for yourself. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Even though we can give suggestions and guidelines and here are some tools and here work these steps or work this program of, you know, how it all comes together is still going to have to be very individual. And I, and I feel that it's important for people to, to do that for themselves. But yeah, ultimately it's really that I just didn't want to be the one telling people how to do it. I mean, what, what you have done is really support those recovery programs out there in the world because we can use your books as part of the program. I mean, we know if we look at 12 steps, there are so many books that are used in meetings and you know buddhist recovery as explicit as that is still new where are the books and you have provided many of those books and i i want to talk about your other two books because there is an emphasis on joy and kindness and i was at a conference quite recently and i had heard top psychiatrists and doctors saying we were never ever taught about the importance of kindness and joy and gratitude in our training and realizing that's what Buddhism, that's what 12 steps has to offer and that's what's been missing. And here you have produced two books, written two books, Recovering Joy, A Mindful Life After Addiction and Living Kindness, Buddhist Teachings for a Troubled World. Yeah, what made you focus on joy and kindness? Yeah, so uh, just as with the others, Recovering Joy was very much a response to what I saw going on in my workshops. And particularly, there was one uh, five-day retreat at Omega Institute, uh, probably around 2012 or 2013, where um, I felt like people were going very deep. And it was like, it was a very powerful kind of five days. And, and I felt really positive about um, where they were going and what they were seeing. But at the end of the week, I also felt there was this heaviness in the room that, you know, sometimes people do their inventory or they look at their powerlessness or they're looking at dukkha and suffering and everything is impermanent, you know, and it started to feel like oppressive. And I, I thought, wow, these people aren't really getting it, you know. They're get, they're going in, but they're not kind of going through, you know. And and that that we need to need to remind people that, you know, you got to go down into the darkness and dig out your stuff, and and then you, but then you have to come back into the light, you know. If it's, that's not too cliched, but you know that that we have to find the the joy. The, the what's the point of all this if there isn't happiness at the end of it? Uh, I understand that you're going to do an inventory and amends and all that stuff if it's twelve step, but you know, in any program, it's going to involve looking at that difficult stuff. Um, but if it doesn't uh, lead. To something uplifting at the end, then it's it's lacking something essential, and so that was re- what recovering joy was about. Living kindness was a little bit different uh, because, uh, as you know, it's it's not a recovery book, and I intentionally kind of 
just wanted to offer something to the broader Buddhist world, uh, maybe step out of the recovery uh, niche a little bit. Um, and but but that was addressing something, sort of another kind of imbalance that that was more about a feeling that people were treating loving kindness meditation as a um, a feel good practice that was just like you go to a workshop and you open your heart and la la everything's fine without really seeing its broader implications in the world and and so that was to go into how the buddha talked about this and how he talked about anger and ill will and hatred and delusion and and how he uh you know points to uh moving beyond those things in our lives not just as a meditation but but really how we live in the world. So that has broader implications, social implications, political implications, um, uh, as well, as well as personal ones. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where that book was coming from. I love that you're talking about all my books. I don't get to do this very often. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're great. They're, they're, they're really important. And I know you say, well, it was out of the recovery niche, but actually we're all in recovery from something, aren't we? And and it is, as you say, it is so important to remind us of happiness because those of us who have the tendency to be nihilistic don't get it, you know, and that's it, don't get it and dwell in that real dark place but actually we know the dharma is freedom it is really liberating when you really get it when you really get that all we're doing is making meaning out of life and life is totally meaningless but if you're nihilistic you can go into a real dark place with that but again just thinking of this i think you know on on a particular level the you know living with kindness recovering joy is so important because we know that those of us who have addictions there can be so much shame and and we can't forgive people we hold on to these old stories and how can we how can we learn to love ourselves after all the terrible things that we've done all the unskillful things that we've done how can we begin to forgive people with all the unskillful things that have been done to us you're asking me that? Oh. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the work we've embarked on it and it's you know, I, this whole process of uh, starting with mindfulness takes us through sort of this examination where we have to be able to first of all just look within ourselves and see our experience but it's vital that we connect it to a broader perspective a broader view and that's what the eightfold path gives us so that we see that what's going on inside us isn't personal right so that's the anatta part then seeing the not self and that's not a theoretical thing it's just it's realizing what goes on in my mind is not unique to me even my behaviors are not unique and so, so that that i think is the first stage of kind of stepping out of the uh, you know 
uh, self-centeredness of ego that we all have. And as, as you say, addicts are particularly prone to that. And for us to step out of that and see, oh, this is not unique to me. So that's, we do that with mindfulness and Dharma. We also do it in the recovery world when, when we go to a meeting. It's one of the reasons why community is so important, because you go in thinking that you are uniquely flawed, and then you're in a room with 50 other people who are just as uniquely flawed as you, and you realize no, none of us are unique. So that, I think, is a first step in untangling and you know uh, detaching from that uh, idea of oh me 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 you know we have to break that that's that's the starting point of it all right of, of when you say freedom i mean that's freedom is freedom from self you know and and spiritual awakening in the 12 steps well what does it do having had a spiritual awakening we tried to carry the message this is the this is the beginning of step 12 the implication being that when we awaken spiritually what we want to do is help other people, not turn around and try to work on ourselves. That when that, that in fact awakening is the realization that self isn't the center of things, and that self is this construction. So all of that, uh, you know, it has. It all sounds so like lofty and and uh, you know intellectual when you talk about it. But as you know, that's the meditative experience. That's what we're trying to point people to. When you sit down and follow your breath, we're not just trying to get good at paying attention to our breath or, or even stopping our thoughts, but we're trying to be, it, it shift our view of our experience as human beings, to see it differently, to understand it differently. And and we have to, that takes a lot of work because that self-view and that egocentricity is so deeply embedded in us that we kind of have to keep repeating this same idea, both through our experience of watching it and hearing the Dharma, studying the Dharma, talking about the Dharma, being, you know, talk, meeting with teachers or guides uh, until finally, you know, it starts, really dawns on us and we get some clarity that... And somehow the glue kind of gets, you know. That's the wisdom aspect, isn't it? That's the wisdom aspect of talking about it, hearing about it, reflecting about it, studying it, and um, which which is really important. But actually, before one can can move into that wisdom, we do have to have a base of samatha practice, a base of loving kindness, a base of mindfulness. And it's interesting, that thing of it isn't just about the breath. And and actually, I mean, there is no breath, is there? I mean, it's like, you know, what would we be pointing to? But what is our breathing? As you say, what, you know, if we really connected to the breathing, what would it be pointing to? You know, what, again, it's like, what what is, what is the Dharma practice pointing to? What is the 12-step practice pointing to? And it's pointing to these stories that we've held on for for years and years and years which has shaped our our future yeah yeah exactly much thanks to Vimala Sara and Kevin Griffin for their words of wisdom be sure to stay tuned next week for the second part of this three part conversation between Kevin Griffin and Vimala Sara. I was 
present for the original recording of this talk, so I can vouch and tell you that you definitely want to keep listening. Um, okay, the last announcement before we go. As I said, July 7th. You definitely want to be there for Angu Devin Ashwood's talk on living an authentic life. Here are a few words Devin has written to describe his talk. A life free from craving, addictions, and compulsions isn't just about avoiding intoxicants. It invites the opportunity to live a full and authentic life with creativity and joy. This isn't just a possibility. Research suggests that although people in recovery from substance misuse often suffer more in the first year, in the longer term they are on average happier than the general population. Could this be because recovery demands effort, self-reflection, and a willingness to change? We will explore how we can use these qualities on the Buddhist path as a self-study and training program that shines a light on the mistakes we make so that we can give them up and live life on life's terms. Living an authentic life in harmony with the Dharma is a life of peace and joy. Please join us as we explore this together. So mark your calendars July 7th and check out BuddhistRecovery.org and click on Academy for more information on the free online Dharma talk. Okay, thank you all so much. Take care. May we all find what brings us peace and share that peace with the world. Thank you.